Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. Hey, we're in a series right now. It's called See Yourself Here. Anybody seen the billboard, one or two? Anybody park in front of it, annoy the traffic? All right, good, good. Madeline's six-foot smile is just awesome, isn't it? Isn't it? I got that isn't it going on. I got the isn't it anointing today. See yourself here. We're going to start and move on to uh, sermon number two on see yourself here. But uh, let's, uh, I think they got the notes here coming up somewhere. They're coming up somewhere. Oh, there they are. Right there. Okay, give me the first slide just to annoy everybody. All right, there we go. Okay, how many still see blue and black? How many see white and gold? What is wrong with you people? Like, who really sees white and gold? Like, you really, there's nothing. Who sees blue and black? Who, who wonders what's wrong with the people around you? You know, this is a really crazy thing. It went kind of viral on the internet. We talked about it last week, but I always see white and gold. In fact, I was at my uh, son's restaurant the other day, and I was showing him it, and he and his girlfriend were totally different, and then they almost started to fight at the bar. People were yelling at each other, what's wrong with you? Anyway. You know, sight has very little to do with the mechanisms that are actually seeing. Your sight has way more to do with your brain. Your brain is the mechanism that sees. Your eyes are processing 2 billion bits of information every second. You're looking 2 billion bits of information. And then there's another billion bits of information come through sound and touch and environment and all those other things. Your brain is processing all of those bits and it's funneling them down into something that you can actually deal with. So you give me another slide, get off of there just so we don't start any fights, all right? So what you see is a complex mental construction of your own making. You make it. Your brain makes it up. See, what you see isn't what you see. It's what you see, and it's something you create in your head. You're told what red is. You're told what blue is. And then as you go through life, you begin to see things through the filters of all your experiences and all kinds of things. So when I see something and you see something, we don't see the same things. We, we look at that, we analyze it, and we, we make decisions about it totally different based on our experiences, our upbringing, our, our language. Everything changes everything. So, But you experience it passively because most of your seeing is subconscious. Like all those billion bits, you can't consciously, you cannot consciously see. It has to be a subconscious thing. Just like breathing is more of a, imagine if you had to consciously, breathe, don't forget to, don't breathe again, keep breathing. Oh my, you'd get terrified. When, breathing, it, it, it's a subconscious thing. Seeing is more subconscious than conscious. And you see and then things are interpreted and they're sent to your consciousness. But all that stuff, seeing is 30% of your brain activity deals with seeing, and, and another two-thirds you're dealing with analyze. So much of, of everything you do deals with this whole aspect of seeing. Therefore, you need to see properly. Seeing properly is good. But now, there's more than just seeing. Because blind people, they might not see with their eyes, but they see. They live by visualizing. They live by, by seeing. They live by images. They live by things they make up. And they also live by what they see. So sight in itself isn't just seeing. And here's a verse for you. Here's a verse right here. Isaiah 43, 19. See, see, see. I am doing a new thing. That's what the Lord said. I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you perceive it? 
See, seeing it is one thing, but do you perceive it? Seeing is not just coming to understanding or revelation. You can see something and just see. There's sometimes, I've, I've been sitting in front of the TV. Have you ever sat in front of the TV? There's times my wife walks in and she says, why are you watching the guide? And I'm just sitting there and I got the guide up. And my mind is totally somewhere else, and I'm staring at the TV. And apparently I was going to change channels, but I forgot because I was thinking about something else. And I'd been sitting there for like five minutes looking at the guide. Has anybody else ever done that? Because, <laughs> you, know, you know, you're, what you're seeing is just, it's not it. But there's stuff going on in here. So God is saying, do you see it? Perceive. I want you to perceive. I want you to become aware, conscious of something. I want you to come to realize it. I want you to understand it. So we want you to see yourself here. We want you to see. We want your seeing to be clear, and we want that to be good. But then what we want you to see is we want you to see Jesus. Because our whole text is in John chapter 1, and John came and he said, see Jesus. Look, the Lamb of God. And all through that chapter, see, 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 see him. And you see, you need to see him and you need to see properly and if you don't see properly and you don't see him you'll never really see yourself and you'll never really understand the fullness of who you are and what God has for you so we want you to see yourself here and that's our goal over the next couple of weeks can I get an amen has anybody ever taken an antihistamine I took about 10 before the service, so I can't even, I can't even get a spit. Because I didn't want to be going this the whole time I was preaching. You don't want to do that, right? That would be annoying, right? Okay. Be annoying on the tape. Okay, what's the pastor do? Amen. All right. So here we got Helen Keller. Helen Keller said, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but not having vision. Helen Keller was blind and she was mute. She was deaf. And she got a degree from Harvard. Pretty amazing. And, here was, and she lectured. She taught herself how to talk. She lectured with people. And here's someone who says, the only thing worse than being born blind is having sight and no vision. It's where you don't perceive, you don't see. You don't have revelation, you don't have understanding. How many people waste their life because they don't see? And they don't see and they don't perceive and they don't see with understanding. You need to see how awesome you are and what God has for you. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great preacher, he said, Christians, he's talking about some Christians, he said, they seem to know about Christianity just enough to spoil their enjoyment of the world. And yet they do not know enough enough to feel happy about themselves. He said they see. The problem is they see, and yet they do not see. They see, and yet they do not see. Some people see just enough of Jesus to be confused, but you need to understand the whole thing. You need to see properly, you need to see clearly, and you need to see Jesus. Last week, we talked about seeing properly. We talked about John the Baptist. He came to see. He was the, he was the guy, look, I want to present Jesus, presenting Jesus. And his whole job was, here it is, four things right here. He wanted to fill the valleys, lower the mountains, confront the crookedness, and make the rough thing straight. I can't go back. You're going to have to go look at the sermon. It was some good if I do say so myself. But you got to deal with those things. Those wounds, that brokenness in your life is going to hinder you from seeing. Those areas where you, you, there's distortions. There's pride. There's, there's lofty thoughts. You think you know it all. The problem is, you know, it's what you know after you know it all that's really important in your life. you got to keep growing. Stay fresh. There's a lot of people, well, I know that. I know that. You're not going to get anywhere if you think you already know that. Stay green. Stay growing. Keep going. And there's a lot of people that they think they already know stuff. And that's what I liked about John the Baptist. says, I did not know. I did not know. Sometimes we got 
got biases and things we think we know. And that's why we got such problems in our society today because everybody approaches every situation with their biases. Well, I come and I approach every situation with these beliefs. And this is how I see the world. And your beliefs are so big in your front of your face that you can't see the person in front of you. And you can't love the person in front of you because your personal biases are stretching out all around you and you can't even love the person you need to see. That was good. And it's true. I'm so tired of the polarization in our societies. Everybody thinking they're right. Who cares about right? Care about the person in front of you. Care about the person that God's called you to love. And so often we can be, as Christians, we can be so right about what we're right about that we don't even see that the thing we're supposed to do is love other people no matter what. Anyways, I threw that in just because... Just because. Confront areas of apathy. Confront things in your life. Let's see properly. Confront the things in your life. Confront the rough areas because you need to see properly. Can I get an amen? You know, that means you're, because you're seeing is subconscious, you, there are ways in your subconscious, there are tracks that have been built by you that you really believe stuff. Subconsciously, you move towards things or believe things because you have constructs in your head, and many of them are, are, are things that have been set up against the knowledge of God, and you have to confront them. You have to deal with them, and thank God for the Word, which confronts those things, and, and you can confess things, and you can straighten out areas in your subconscious so you can begin to see right. Can I get an amen? Give me a picture. Here's a guy I want to introduce this guy to you. He's awesome. All right. He's neat. Give me another slide. Go ahead. Now, this is, uh, his name is, he's got a website. Actually, it's at the bottom there, although it's in blue. It's ashrita.com. He has over 700 Guinness World Book records. He currently is the holder of over 200 World Book records. Isn't that awesome? Who cares? Guinness World Book record, like, who cares? But some of them are really awesome because, uh, let me just show you. Give me another slide. Here's a few of them. Some really important stuff. He, he has got the record for catching the most knives in one minute. He caught 54 knives in one minute. I mean, think about that. One, two, three, 54 knives in a minute. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? How cool is he? All right. Uh, now, this somersault. Say somersault. You know what a somersault is? Does anybody know? It's where you throw your head forwards at the ground and roll. Who made that idea up? Sounds really good, eh? But we, we teach our kids how to do that right away in uh, gymnastics and stuff, and it, it makes, makes a lot of sense. Throw your head at the ground and roll. Anyways, he decided that he would do that. He has the record for most continuous somersaulting. It's 12 miles and 370 yards. 12 miles. I mean, I would love to have somebody right now just somersault across the, the front of the church. Wouldn't that be awesome? Who'd really love to see that? Who'd like to volunteer? Tina, you want to know? But I mean, this guy did it for 12 miles. Who does this stuff? So I, unicycle underwater. Who wants to ride an underwater unicycle? Crazy stuff. I didn't even know. Does anybody ever walked on shovels? I didn't know walking on shovels wasn't that. Is that a Mennonite thing, Ben, walking on shovels? It's not a Mennonite thing. I don't even know what it is. But anyways, apparently he has the record for the fastest mile walking on shovels, 24 minutes and 25 seconds. There are hundreds of others. Those are just a few. I gave you the website. You can go look it up yourself. We'll, we'll do that right now. Does anybody care to walk on shovels? 
You need a visual? Okay. I guess not. Why did I say that? Well, I want to introduce you to somebody that you really need to meet. It's Jesus, all right? Now, he's pretty interesting, but, you know, so what, right? Let's talk about Jesus. Turn your neighbor and say, let's talk about Jesus. Amen. All right, John chapter 1. Let's go. John chapter 1, 17 to 18. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, has has revealed, has revealed, has declared him. The message says, has made him as plain as day. If you want to know God, Jesus is God. Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus is the absolute complete revelation of God. So you need to see him. That was John the Baptist. He came. I want you to see. And what did he want you to see? He wanted you to see, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. So we want to see Jesus. What comes to your mind? A.W. Tozer said this. He said, what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What do you think about? Just right now, just stop for a second, clear everything out of your head and say, God, God. What do you think about when you think about God? What you think about right now when you think about God is the most important thing about you, according to Tozer. And I would agree with that. And there's a lot of people that have bad information. They got a bad concept of God. And you all received the concept of God. But your concept of God is a big deal. You are not defined by what you do, but by what Jesus has done for you. You need to know that. You need to know that man's love is performance-based, but God's love is promise-based. And God loves you. He's for you. And I love that song we sing, give me a revelation of your love. Let me build on the foundation of your love. And that's the most important thing we want to do. So I want you to see Jesus today and John the Baptist, the one who announced the coming of Christ. He wanted you to see. He wanted you to behold. He wanted you to perceive Jesus. And that's the most important thing. If you're going to see yourself here, if you're going to be present, if you're going to manifest everything that makes you the best version of you, you need to see but what you really need to see clearly is you need to see Jesus. Thank you. Amen. Good. That's what I want to do. All right, so John 1, we're in John 1, all this next six weeks, it's all in John 1, but John 1, 29 to 34. The next day, John saw, say saw. The next day, John saw Jesus. He saw him. He saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, behold, perceive, pay attention, look to understand, look to get revelation, look so that you can gain the full picture of what this is, not just the gaze, not, oh, Jesus, okay. No, I really want you to give it your full attention. I want you to have an absorbing gaze at him because I want you to fully understand and get a revelation of who he is. And that's what John wanted. Behold what? Behold what? The Lamb of God. What is he doing? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Many translations say the whole world. The whole world takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man. Say man. After me comes a man. John said, after me there's coming a man who was preferred before me who was before me, Jesus, the lamb slain Jesus before the foundation of the world. I did not know him. I think that's amazing that the one who is sent to announce the Messiah, he says twice in this passage, I didn't know him. I didn't know him. It wasn't, it wasn't something that I of myself conjured up or perceived. It was a revelation of the Spirit of God. The only way I could even understand him was by the Spirit of God. I didn't know him. It wasn't something that I somehow brought into some box where I could say, I've got it. 
It was the Spirit brought revelation. He said, I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing in water. Boom. Boom. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending upon him. I was told that the one who the Spirit descends upon him remains on. I did not know him. I didn't know him. I didn't, and even though John literally was a first cousin with Jesus. He's saying, I did not know him, but he says, for him to be pointed out, I was completely dependent on the word of God, a revelation from God, that I knew that the one who would be the one was, I had to follow the spirit, I had to completely align myself with the spirit. The one the spirit pointed out, that would be the one on whom you see the spirit descend and remain. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I've seen, I've seen, and I testify that he is the son of God. Wowzers right there. That's good stuff. So we're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to look at some things, four things. First thing I want you to look at is that he's a man. He is qualified to qualify you. He is. He is absolutely totally qualified to qualify you. First thing is he's a man. I love that. I mean, I'm reading it this week and in staff meeting. We were just reading over it again and it just jumped off the page. He said, one is coming after me, a man. There's a man, and Jesus was absolutely a man, and he had to be a man. If he was going to identify with us, if he was going to deliver us, if he was going to set us free to be everything that we're called to be, he needed to be a man. And Jesus was a man, and he qualifies because he was a man to be our deliverer and our redeemer. But let's just break down man to just a, a more mundane level. You ready? Well, F.F. Bruce said, it's because man bears the image of the creator that it was possible for the Son of Man to become incarnate as man and in his humanity display the glory of God, of the invisible God. See, image. You see, if I had a glove, I don't have a glove, but if I had a glove, the glove is made with five little points in it. Why? Because gloves are made in the image of your hand so that you can put your hand in the glove. So the glove is made so that it, contain, it can contain a hand. You see, you were created in the image of God so that you could take God. You were created so that God could fill you and flood you. You were created in the image of God so that God could become everything on the inside of you. Jesus became a man so that God could become a man. And that same incarnation takes place when you are born again and baptized with the Holy Ghost. That glove, that spirit, that, 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 that body, this earth suit is flooded and filled with the very life and nature of God himself. But he's a man, and he had to be a man so that you could be a man. Just like he was flooded with the Holy Spirit, you can be flooded with the Holy Spirit. So he was a man. Now think about this now. Let's get mundane. You ready? He was a man, and as a man, he had relationships. He had relationships. In the NIV, where it says his own people, that's the New King James Version, it says his own family. Now listen to this, Mark 3.21. But his own people heard about this. He's teaching and ministering at somebody's home and teaching. And it says when they heard about this, they came to lay hold of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. Got any friends like that? You got some friends like that? Jesus, I mean, these are his people. These are people he hung with. You know, these are people that, you know, surrounded his life, people that knew him. He knew his people, his own people said, you're nuts. He had some relationships and they weren't all wonderful. How about you? I think that's neat that he didn't have all of his relationships wonderful. Does that give any peace to anybody who doesn't have all wonderful relationships? Is there anybody here that all your relationships are perfect? Is there anybody who's got some creepy relationships? Anybody got some not-so-wonderful relationships? 
Here's another thing. Look, it says Mark 3, 31. It says his brothers and his mother came. They're standing outside and they're calling saying, Jesus, stop it. Hello. We know that he had four brothers and he had sisters. So if he had sisters, what does that tell us about his sisters? There's more than one. Thank you very much. Ding, 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 ding. That means there's a family of at least seven kids, maybe more. So what do we know? He might have shared a bed with a brother. Did anybody here ever have to grow up sharing a bed? Really? Oh, my God. God bless you. I had to share a bedroom. I had my brothers were twins, and they always fought each other, so I had to sleep with one or the other because they never got along. It was only a three-bedroom home. Thank God it was a three-bedroom home. My wife had a one-bedroom home. They were, all, they were all in the same place, you know, peed in a bucket, all that stuff. But anyways, I, I'll confess her life later. But <laughs> wasn't all roses growing up sometimes, was it? But I mean, I had a brother, my brother Dave. He was so annoying. I'd go to bed. I was usually in bed earlier than him. He'd, he'd come home later. And when he came in, he'd turn on the lights. He'd get ready for bed. He'd jump in the bed. Then he'd say, Carl, turn off the light. I'm like, <laughs> and I'd just go, Carl, turn off the light. He'd say, if you don't turn off the light, I'm going to smack you. And I'd say, while you're up smacking me, turn off the light. <laughs> used to drive him crazy, just drive him nuts. So we'd have this battle for a long time. Finally, I'd have to get up and turn off the light because he just wouldn't. And one, one night he got up, took all the shoes out of our closet and shoved them all in my bed. And he just said, now turn off the light. And I'm like, oh, I feel so great. These shoes are so awesome. You know, just used to drive him crazy. But anybody have a brother like that? You know Jesus had relationships, folks. He really did. Let me move on to the next one. You ready? Jesus had a business. Look what it says. It says, is this not the carpenter? He was just a normal guy. They straight up were like, so the guy who just said that he's the Messiah, he actually, I bought a three-legged stool off him last week. And it was kind of crooked. But uh, I haven't paid him for it yet, actually. I mean, he really interacted with people on all these kinds of different levels. And I don't know about you, but I really think it's pretty amazing that Jesus was a man. He had all these things going on, all this stuff happened in his life, just like me, just like you. And he, here's the thing, all these people, he got his brothers and his sisters, and, and, and listen to this, all the people were offended at him. I mean, Jesus was a man. Give me another slide. He had relationships. He had a business. He had troubles. He had, says many of his disciples walked away from him. says, behold, your mother. I love this, because here he is on the cross. He's on the cross, and he's redeeming mankind. Like, this is amazing. He literally is in excruciating pain because the Romans didn't just kill people, they tortured them. And they were really, really good at it. And here he is, literally bearing the sin of all of mankind. And in the midst of that pain and suffering, he's like, I got to take care of my mom. And he's like, John, can you make sure you take care of my mom? Mom, John. John is your son. John, Mary. She's your mom. Would you take care of my mom? And it says that, and from that hour, that disciple took care of his mother. I just think about all the, the personal things that Jesus went through in life. All the experiences he's had are just like you, just like me. He had all those things. He identified with us in every single way. We also, many, many 
teachers believe that Joseph might have died between his second and third year of ministry. They say the synoptic gospels talked a lot about the first couple years, and then in John, suddenly it moves over, and in John, he starts to say he's the son of Mary, whereas the others are talking about he's the son of Joseph. And some, some believe because of that that it's possible that during his ministry time, he lost his father. And, and I, I, don't, I don't know if it was or wasn't, but I do know that he did lose his father. It may have been earlier in life, but he, he might have been raised by a single mother. He, might, he went through a lot of experiences just like me and just like you. He was a man. And because of that, you know what? You got somebody who identifies with you, knows the hurt, knows the pain, knows the disappointment, knows it all, and he's way quicker to empathize with you than I am because I have no idea. But I'm learning a little bit every day. But he was a man. He had things. He went through things just like us. Can I get an amen? For he was a man. All right. Number two, he was the son of God. He was the son of God. John, John the Baptist said, I testify that he is the son of God. He was God. Jesus was man, every bit man, but he was absolutely God. I want to read 1 Corinthians. I'm sorry, I want to read Colossians. I don't want to read, I'll read 1 Corinthians later on my own time. But right now I'm going to read Colossians chapter 1, all right? I want you to listen to this. This is probably the, the greatest Christological uh, description of Jesus in the Bible. That's a, a theological description of his sonship. You ready? Of, of God. Here it is. Ready? He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, and in him heaven and things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in all things he may have preeminence he is absolutely God the creator of all things who created all things holds all things together the whole thing right now scientists say we don't even know what's holding this together we don't know why it doesn't absolutely spin out of control we don't know what it is but he holds all things together and he is the one right now who is, it is God himself that keeps it all together and who moves it all together. For it pleased the Father that in him and all the fullness should dwell. And in him he would reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through his blood on the cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind, say your mind, mind, say mind. You were never an enemy of God, ever, ever, ever an enemy of God. You were an enemy of God because of your, it says, because of your bad works, because of your deeds. See, when you do bad stuff, you feel like you're a bad person, and then you feel you're not worthy of love. But here's the amazing thing about God. He has never not loved you. Never. You have never lived an unloved moment with God. He has always loved you. He will always love you. He'll never give up on you ever. But you see, when you do bad stuff in your head, you start to condemn yourself. In your head, the enemy comes through his thoughts and says, you're no good. But you know what? You are to die for, and you're worthy of the love of an amazing God. You are enemies in your mind, enemies in your mind because of, uh, of uh, alienated, because of wicked works. Yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above and beyond reproach in his sight. In his sight. Oh, wow. Listen, let me say this again. Who are you? You are holy. You are blameless. You are above reproach in his sight. 
You are holy, you are blameless, you are above reproach in his sight. You are holy, you are blameless, you are above reproach in his sight. Please stop getting excited. I know that's too much. I am holy, I am blameless, I am above reproach in the sight of Jedrin, my friend here. He just thinks good thoughts of me. And that is good because that's probably true. But here's the truth. It's in the sight of God. In God's sight, God. He doesn't see me through Jesus. He sees me as holy. He sees me as blameless. He doesn't just impute righteous to me. He's imparted righteousness to me. So I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. God did that. By his own blood, he did that. God did that, and I'm holy, blameless, and beyond reproach in his sight. If indeed, not if, is not an if, well, conditional, it's not an if, it's a since you are. Since you are, since you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and not moved at all from the hope that the gospel has given you, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Hallelujah. I'm trying to hang on to my faith. No, it's the faith of God. It's his gift. It's his faith. And it'll never relax its grip on you. He is God. He's every bit God. He is the son of God. He's a mighty God. Here, eight little points from that passage. You can go preach it another day, but you ready? He's perfectly God. He's absolutely first. He's eternal. He's a dynamic sustainer. He's the church's priority. He's qualified to redeem. He's gloriously reconciled us. And his gospel has absolutely established us. That's my God. That's my Jesus. He's absolutely a man, but he is absolutely God. Number four, here's what John said. Behold the Lamb of God. He's the Lamb of God. What does that mean? You see, John was a part of a priestly family. His father, Zechariah, lot fell on him. He went into the holy place there. He did sacrifices. John was a part of the priestly line. What did the priestly line do? You brought your sacrifice, and the priest would say, this is a lamb that will cover your sin. So the priest, he was able to say, this qualifies as a sacrifice. John was qualified to say, this is the lamb. But he's not Henry's lamb. He's not Frankie's lamb. He's not Brian's lamb. He's the lamb of God. See, I would come in the old covenant, I'd bring my lamb, inspect my lamb. Is my lamb perfect? Is my lamb pure? Can my lamb be sacrificed to cover my sin? It would have been my lamb. But you see, once and for all, the lamb of God came. God himself came into the scene. God himself came into my world. God himself brought a lamb, God's lamb. And God's lamb shed his blood. The blood of God was shed for me. The lamb of God that takes away the sin of the whole world, past, present, future, and forever. Behold the lamb of God who completely delivers you. Who do you think you are to say you're still in sin when the lamb of God, God himself brought a lamb and he brought him to the altar and his blood, God's blood, is shed on the mercy seat right before the throne of God. God, by his blood, has declared you righteous. Man, that don't get your juice jumping. You need a bumper cable. Ha! Hebrews 9, 7, not without blood, which he offered for himself. Not without blood, which he offered for himself. The priest offered blood for himself and for the people's sin. Listen, Hebrews 9, 12. But with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once and for all, 
having obtained partial redemption. Eternal redemption. Forever and ever complete. No beginning, no end. God has completely redeemed you with his own blood. What, what can wash away your sin? Well, you know, I, I got a problem, Pastor, and I just go, I got three friends, we get together, and every week I got a problem, I go confess it to them every week, you know. And I just believe in one of these days I'm going to get it right. You know how you deal with those problems? The Lamb of God died for that. The Lamb of God declares me righteous. When you fall on your face, stand up and say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When you fall on your head, he's the Lamb of God. What's the Lamb of God do? Takes away the sin of the whole world. What can wash away your sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You know how you're going to get over that situation? The blood. Oh, my goodness. What's going on? This reoccurring thing, the blood. It's that we add stuff to it. It's that we develop programs and we develop these, these processes and these, these systems to try to get ourselves free. You know, it's a one-step program. The blood, the Lamb of God, it was shed on the mercy seat once and for all and that blood was enough to deliver you completely, totally, and fully. What do you say about the blood? Because you overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. So what do you say about the blood? Well, the blood's good, but I meet with my three friends and we talk about how you doing. You getting over that thing? Well, a little better, a little better. The blood. Jocelyn, why did it get so quiet in here? Can you tell me? (laughs) Is everybody thinking? Is that what it is? I'm telling you. Once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. The righteous man falls seven times, but he picks himself up. You know when it's the hardest time to stand in faith? When you feel like your behavior just fell short of what God declared about you. But you know what? Faith is declaring those things that aren't as though they were. I am. You know how you get free? You get free not by focusing on your problem. You get free by focusing on his solution. And when you focus on that, I'm telling you, deliverance will come rushing into your life. You just keep announcing his truth over you every single day. Speak that, confess that. It says, because you overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. It is for freedom that Christ sets you free. Stand firm in your freedom. Don't get taken into slavery again. Go get taken into works. You don't get taken into nonsense. Can I get a Hallelujah. All right, I got to move on. I got to move on. Come on, pastor. You got to move on. All right, I got to finish right here. You say, he's the baptizer, because that's what it says. I mean, the, the, the forerunner, the one who announced the coming, Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. Behold, the Lamb of God. I want you all. He baptized over a million people in preparation for Jesus coming. A million people. That's what church history says. John the Baptist had a massive revival. A million people were baptized in preparation to see Jesus. How many made it to the upper room? A 120 because they all had their own biases they all had their own lofty high-mindedness of what they thought it would look like and so many missed it because yeah yeah, i don't think he's the guy even john the baptist lost his head john the baptist who announced the coming of christ later on he said are you really the one or should i be looking for somebody else how sad is that that's what religion can do to people when it doesn't look like what i think it should be because i'm approaching even the one i announced i still have my own biases of what i think he should look like But you know what he came to do? 
He came to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Isn't that great? See, when the lamb is applied to your life, you know what that means? You're pure, holy, righteous, blameless before God. Wherever the blood is applied, the glory of God goes. Wherever the blood is applied, the spirit goes. Remember the hymn writer? Remember the Wesley brothers? His spirit answers to the blood and tells me, I am born of God. The spirit answers to the blood. Wherever the blood is applied, the spirit comes. You were made holy. You were declared righteous because of your faith in the finished work, the blood of Christ. And because of that confession, you now can receive and be baptized in the spirit of God. And now that hand can come in the glove. Now that hand would never participate with something broken or unholy or impure, but he made you pure. He made you holy so that he could fully possess you. And now you see, now you can see him. And when you see him, the power to be the best you that you could ever be, that power, the power from on high, being clothed with power from on high, it only comes when you see him as the lamb of God, when you receive him by faith, when you receive the by faith, then you also get baptized by the Spirit of God. And then what you have done is you've created that realm for him to come and his hand comes into your life and animates every part of you. So he is, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world. He was a man. He is the Son of God, but he is the one who will baptize you, pickle you, saturate you, marinate you, get you so saturated with the Holy Ghost that nothing comes out of you except the manifestation of heaven. And that's what he does. It says the Spirit will baptize you. John 16, 7 says, nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. Your advantage is that I go away. Because when I go away, I was with you. But when he comes, he will be in you. And he will be in you. And you'll be advantage. Say advantage. You'll say advantage. Is there anybody still awake? Say advantage. You're advantaged when the Holy Ghost comes on you. Said, I'm going to go away, but I'll send him to you. He'll be in close fellowship with you. One more verse. Here it is. Boom. In the message, Luke 149, what's coming next is very important. I love that. Jesus said, guys, what's coming next is very important. I'm sending what the Father promised you, so stay here in the city until he arrives and until you are equipped with power from on high. I want you to see him. I want you to see he is a man, but he is the Son of God. He is the Lamb of God. But he is the one who will baptize you, and he will equip you, and he will put his life in you, and he will empower you to be the absolute best version of you. You need to get your sight cleaned up, but then you need to see him. You need to get his blood applied to your life, and then let him baptize you. Let him saturate and animate you, and you'll walk into the fullness of what he's called you to be.